a value-add multifamily apartment complex where you know you can come in and over a couple of years upgrade all the units and significantly increase all the rents. That's going to significantly increase your net operating income over a couple of years. And so that's the velocity I'm talking about in terms of how quickly you can increase the NOI and thereby significantly increase the overall value of the property. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today, again, is Zach Winner. Uh, we're going to welcome him back uh, to the show. We're going to jump right back in. Uh, and and you know, why multifamily? And why value add for them? You're going to hear him talk about both sides of that coin a little bit. Uh, but even on the passive side, like why not just be passive? You know, oftentimes we have many attorneys and, and let's say high income folks like that, that they just want to be passive, right? And then obviously there's some that decide they want to go be active in real estate versus that position, you know, that they had. And so uh, you're going to hear hear that also, uh, and amongst many other things, uh, as, as we close down some of those last questions, it's always interesting some of the, some of the answers we get. And Zach uh, just brings a lot of value to you today. Zach, welcome back to the show. I want to remind the listeners to go back to yesterday. You're going to hear more about Zach, their firm. Uh, and I mean, you know, just really learning about his background as an attorney, how it's helped them in the business, but then some tips he provided uh, for just our relationship with our with our attorneys. And, you know, as you grow in this space uh, and some different documents that you need to be aware of. Uh, Zach, let's jump back in. I know you mentioned uh, yesterday, you know, like you, you all like uh, value add versus ground up and some of those things. And, but uh, but I want to get into that. But I also want to know, you know, why multifamily for you? Like why, you know, you, you, I think you had said something, you know, obviously it's a highly desired asset class, uh, but, you know, why why still pursue multifamily for you and your group? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I think multifamily, as it turns out right now, it's, it's, it's the best performing, you know, commercial property asset class. And, you know, one of the reasons is there's just a huge lack of housing throughout the U.S., a huge need for housing, and people always need a place to live. And so that's continued to, to drive the multifamily market versus, you know, if you compare it to traditional office, you know, people are working from home. There's a real difficulty here in the U.S. to get to get employees to come back to the office. And so we're seeing these, you know, high-end Class A office buildings where they're turning the keys back into the lender. So multifamily, you know, it's it's been a very steady, very reliable uh, property type for us. And, you know, the reason we like value-add multifamily is um, really the velocity in terms of how quickly we can increase the value by increasing the net operating income. So if you compare it to yesterday, we were talking about uh, the fact that we own a couple of industrial flex office parks, great asset class, very safe, very secure. They're all triple net lease tenants, right? And so it's very easy to predict what our, you know, what our, our net operating income is going to be. And th those leases are long-term leases and typically will build in, you know, some annual rent increase. It's very moderate in terms of the the annual increase in your NOI. If you compare that on the other hand with acquiring a value-add multifamily apartment complex where you know you can come in and over a couple of years upgrade all the units and significantly increase all the rents, that's going to significantly increase your net operating income over a couple of years. And so that's the velocity I'm talking about in terms of how quickly you can increase the NOI and thereby significantly increase the overall value of the property. 
So we find that, you know, with this value-add multifamily, we can cycle through a property in three, five, seven years for some of these other property types you're holding for a much longer period if you're trying to achieve a similar IRR. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, completely agree. We like that space, obviously, as well, uh, for sure. And so did you all, have you all done some ground up? No, we haven't done ground up. We're involved right now in a um, hotel to apartment conversion project. And that's probably the most intensive like renovation project that I've been involved in to date. Um, but but we haven't done ground up. It, it's not something that's in our skill set. So we if we were to do it, we would definitely need to bring in a partner that's very, you know, well versed at that. Um and it's something we've talked about, but but you know, I one of I think the attractions that we offer our investors is pretty immediate, you know, cash flow. So particularly with these typical value add multifamilies, they're going to get cash flow, you know, typically in the first quarter. It'll be lower than the average annual cash flow because we haven't gone in yet and upgraded the units and increased the rents, but they're still going to start getting distributions uh, in the first quarter. And, the, and that's obviously something you can't offer or offer investors typically in ground up. You yeah, know, unless you're pre-raising it and, and giving it back to them. Yeah, no doubt. Very different animal, you know, as, as far as how it, uh, you know, works for investors, you know, and it's not for everyone. Uh, you know, I guess, are there uh, other thoughts about uh, multifamily versus ground up that even maybe a passive investor listening should be considering? Because, uh, I, I, you know, obviously it's like we talked about cash flow. Uh, if you're wanting cash flow in it right now, a ground up may not be the space, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I know that typically I would say you know, more risk, right? Because there already is yeah. no cash flow, right? For a long time. Uh, but any other thoughts, uh, you know, as far as for the passive investor listening? Well, I think that's exactly it. There's more risk, right? Conceivably, there's more returns, more rewards. So your return should be higher for that additional risk. But, you know, I have invested passively in a ground up apartment complex. And that that was located in Los Angeles in a, in a high end area called Hancock Park. And it took, uh, I want to say a year and a half over when it should have been completed to actually be completed. So and and these were very ex experienced people that um, own quite a lot of apartment buildings in Los Angeles. But you're dealing with, you know, a lot of times it's the government that's delaying you in in, in the permanent approval process, and and that was the case here. So we were dealing with the city of L.A., which is a very bureaucratic you know, city, and they're very slow moving. And we were dealing with the utility companies here that have their own separate bureaucracy that you're dealing with in terms of getting the electricity the electrical components approved and and signed off on and so um so you know one of the biggest risks is is how long is it going to take and just prepare be prepared for that because that's going to water down your irr if you think you're going to get your money in a year and a half but it, it takes three years for the money to start rolling in that has a significant impact impact on your overall return yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I, I find that uh, you know, if somebody says, "Oh yeah, the the ground up development, whatever, whatever the project may be, oh yeah, it'd be done in February," I'm like, "Well, what year are we talking?" About? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I may add a year to that, you know, just to get my, uh, you know, set my expectations because there are there's so many things, right? That in in and rightfully for any developer in, in multifamily value add operator as well, there's just so many things that. 
uh, that come into play that you can't expect. We try to account for all those things right as much as possible and even allow buffers. Uh, but sometimes yep. there's just, uh, I would even say often, you know, there's just things that uh, you can't. You're, you're running an ongoing business and things come up and, and you just have to, you know, be ready to deal with it as best that you can and yep. be prepared for it. And as you're saying, if you can build in some buffer to protect you from unforeseen downsides, some contingency budget funds. That's always, I think, a good idea. And, you know, just be prepared to walk, walk through those, those issues that can come up. And, and as an investor, you know, I think you need to recognize that you're not investing in a bond that's going to pay out a set amount every single month, like or quarter, like clockwork. It's, it's, it's real estate and it can be lumpy, but at the same time, I think real estate is, is very forgiving. So if you have the ability to ride it out, you'll be fine. Uh, you know, to change gears just a little bit, Zach, you know, with a, uh, what I wonder sometimes, you know, and, and uh, you and I briefly chatted about it, but but uh, why not uh, stay an attorney and just invest passively? You know, maybe active yeah. versus passive. Why did it, why go that route? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly an option. And when I started out, I was... Uh, for many, many years, um, investing passively, right? I, I started out buying single family homes and I was investing passively. And, you know, they were in other locations in the country. So I had third party management managing them. And then I would continue with my, you know, with my job, my W-2 income, which is a great way to go if that, you know, if you don't want that hands on. I just love real estate and I've always had a passion for real estate. And so, you know, my goal was to transition out of trading my time for money. And that's what most W-2 employees are, including, you know, high-end earners like attorneys where I had, you know, an hourly billable sheet that I was responsible for every day. And I had to bill a certain number of hours every day, every week. And, and in exchange for that, I got, you know, a paycheck. But there's lots of advantages if you can transition over to to investing in real estate, being your own boss. It frees up one of the luxuries is it it frees up your time, or you can allocate your time as you wish, and you're not tied to a, to a timesheet. Uh, what's the biggest challenge in your business business now today? Well, right now it, it continues to be finding deals. I have you know we have uh, investors that are are ready to to invest. We you know we still have. A lot of interest, even given where we are in the economy, but it's it's finding the deals, and so we continue to look and to underwrite, and and I think what's important is you you stick to your criteria, right? Um, you don't loosen up your underwriting standards. You stick to your criteria, and you stick to you know a strike price that's going to back into what you believe you know, we'll deliver the returns that you need to deliver to your investors. So, so that's it. And, you know, we'll we continue to underwrite and I know, you know, over time we'll find the deals. We just need to stay diligent. And, you know, I, I ask this of pretty much every operator or that, that would come that comes on the show uh, is, you know, just your thoughts, obviously on the next six, 12 months, 18 months. Uh, and I, you know, nobody truly knows, right. Exactly what's going to happen. However, what I say is, uh, what you believe is going to happen affects what we do today, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. and, so, and so I, I just love hearing different uh, opinions, even things that you're following or ways that, you know, you're being influenced uh, or allowing yourself to be influenced, you know, by maybe specific things that, that are helping inform you to make the best decision today as you, uh, you can. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of follow the Fed a lot, look at what the Fed's going to do and try to predict what the Fed's going to do. And I think we're going, you know, they're, they're meeting next week. Um, and I think they're, they're going to pause. And then, you know, after a certain amount of time, and, and that's the question, how long, they'll start to lower interest rates again. But, you know, they've spiked interest rates at, at a, a, a faster pace than they've done in a long, long, long time. And we're seeing the impact on various aspects of the economy. I do think if we're not, you know, currently in a recession, we're, we're, we're going to go into one. And the question is, how long is that recession going to be and how deep is it going to be? But, um, you know, I think to the extent that we we start to see some real um, weakness, some additional weakness in the economy for a period after the Fed pauses, that will push them to need to start lowering interest rates again to start stimulating the economy again. So, you know, I'm hopeful that we've seen the highest mark in in, in interest rates going up by the Fed, and and we'll we'll have a pause period now, and then at some point maybe at the end of end of this year or next or or the beginning of next year we'll start to see a trend down again yeah yeah i i i think i've heard that there's a like 80 percent chance i expect that that we pause you know yeah. next week yeah. uh, and then uh and, and maybe we have some time to uh allow the the <laughs> you know the the lag to catch up right of the repercussion right. you know of, of the decisions that they've made to, to increase like they have so it's going to be yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to just know where people, you know, or where your head's at, right? You know, in some of these yeah. things and and all these different um, things that we could consider. Uh, we see all the headlines and it can scare you to death, right? But I think majority of, uh, of that time, we should ignore most of those things, right? And, and watch where we're getting our sources from. Uh, and so just appreciate that. What about, you know, how, when you're looking at a deal today, how do you know you're prepared for a downturn, right? You know, what are you all doing uh, to just say, okay, we're ready for the downturn, uh, but not only the downturn, but then something else happens, you know, we're still prepared for that. What does that look like when you're evaluating a deal today? So, well, we, we certainly take a close look at vacancy rate, and that obviously varies by market and sub-market. And we take a close look at projected rent increases, and, and we're kind of building in some cushion in both of those areas. And we may slightly increase our bad debt component that we're projecting forward. So we really want to keep a close eye on how, how the economy is going to impact our particular property and our particular market and, and sub-market. And then we're also building in some contingency budget. So it's always difficult when you're underwriting. You don't want to underwrite yourself out of a deal by being too conservative. But by the same token, we have seen through our various properties uh, the value of having some slush fund or a contingency budget for unforeseen circumstances. So, so for example, uh, during COVID, we we had a fire in one of our, our buildings in one of our properties, and it took out four units. Um, but luck, luckily we had, you know, we had insurance that covered us for um for for the full rebuild and for the loss of business income for the rental income that we lost. So we were just out of ten thousand dollar premium payment. But it was good to have that slush money to carry us through until we got um, the reimbursement from the insurance company. So we like to build in some contingency budget to just as pr added protection. You know, I'd rather have that then tell our investors we're not going to make a distribution. We've never had to make a capital call, but that's like, we really don't want a capital call and have to go to our investors and ask them for money. Right, right. 
what about, uh, what's a way that uh, you've recently maybe improved your business that we could apply to ours? During COVID, we used to do a lot of in-person meetings, a lot of networking meetings. And during COVID, we had to transition off of that, of course. And so we spent some time um, on our online presence and, and we've seen some value in that actually. So we, you know, we also do a podcast. Um, we upgraded our, our website. We've provided a lot of, of free, uh, additional materials on our website, eBooks, uh, um, uh, an e-course, a mini course on investing in real estate. And, and, and I, I do know that some of our investors have tapped into that and are utilizing that. And, and that was, kind of a you know a nice value add offering to offer up to our investors who are a little more active on LinkedIn and and so that seems to have stimulated some some additional online presence for us um, that we weren't doing before. Yeah. What about your uh maybe your best advice today for passive investors? Well I think for passive investors take your time in analyzing deals and don't don't be attracted just to the um, uh, property package uh, or offering that's offering the stated, you know, highest return because it's you really need to look at the numbers. And somebody can tell you it's going to be a twenty percent or thirty percent return, but they may never achieve that. You need to look at the uh, at 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 the general partners' um, background, history, what they have succeeded in. If it's value add multifamily, have they done value add multifamily before? Um, if it's in Kansas City, have they been in Kansas City before? You know what's what's their track record and delving into that, and don't just chase yield. I've seen lots of investors get burned just by chasing yield. What about your your best source for meeting new investors right now? I I do a fair amount of networking, and I network with um, uh, lots of different business groups, and and that's how I tend to meet most of my new investors that I meet. But I also, you know, over time, you get a lot of referrals. You know, if you do good by your investors, they'll not only reinvest, but they'll refer friends and family. So we get a lot of referrals from uh, investors who are repeat investors. But networking events has been a a great or been like your main place to to find new investors. It has. It has. And, you know, over time, um, I've done lots of different types of networking, ranging from BNI to Chambers of Commerce to, you know, country club type of of organizations to, you know, real estate investor conferences. And um, for me, um, I usually give it a year or two to, to, to find out if it's working for me. And, and if it is, I'll stick with it. And if not, I'll, I'll move on to something else. So, you know, I think you need to to um, if if that's what you want to do, get out there, um, experiment with with uh, a few different organizations, and find one that seems to be working for you, and then you know, keep going, get out there, and and network, and and you'll meet people, and over time you'll build up your your list of potential investors. It's it's not an overnight thing. Real estate isn't you know as they say, it's not you can get rich, but not necessarily get rich overnight. And and with networking, you can build up a great base, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's something you need to work on, and then it'll happen. What are some of the most important metrics that you track? It could be personally or professionally. So, in terms of of um, of investors, you know, we we keep a close eye on on who our investors are and our potential new investors. Um, you know, when we're sending out uh, information, we do track. 
you know, um, um, the metrics there, are any getting bounced, uh, you know, if we're, are any dropping off, how many are opening them, how many are responding, how many are clicking to the different sites. And so we are tracking metrics like those. What about uh, habits that you're disciplined about that have produced the highest return for you? So I think, you know, it's it's staying in the game. It's sticking to it. It's being consistent. It's it's really a consistency game. 80% of it is showing up and doing the work. And if you put in the work and you're diligent and you stay at it, it'll work. And how do you like to give back? Well, right now I have a couple of cats, but for many years we've had German Shepherds. And a charity that we are passionate about is the West Side German Shepherd Rescue. It's our our latest uh, German Shepherd was was from Westside German Shepherd Rescue. And so it's a great organization. We love to contribute and be involved in that. Awesome. Zach, it's been a pleasure to meet you uh, and learn more about you, your team, your expertise, uh, even why multifamily, you know, in this segment, why you all have decided to focus or even your thoughts on the next, say, six, 12 months uh, and, you know, where you're getting your information and and uh, and even why uh, become active versus passive yeah. and some of those things. Uh, Zach, uh, grateful again for your time. Uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, well, thank you, Whitney. It was a pleasure being on here. And uh, for anybody interested in learning more about us, our website is prosperitycre.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. So feel to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.